This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Wiser Books. Wiser Books is celebrating 60 years of publishing the very best in occult and esoterica. You can check out their extensive and inspiring range of reading material by going to wiserbooks.com. That's W-E-I-S-E-R books.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. I hope you're doing well and navigating the shift into these darker months with as much glitter and grace as you possibly can. Things might be feeling kind of heavy right now. It's the start of the holiday season, which can be delightful and stressful in equal measure. Mercury's in retrograde for most of December, which may mean you're having some challenges with communication or technology or are having to wrestle with ghosts from your past. And of course, the news cycle is spinning ceaselessly, though I must say I'm rather encouraged to see so many people who are now wrestling with their past ghosts at the moment in the form of women who keep coming out of the woodwork to tell their stories of abuse at the hands of men. Sometimes the past needs to be reckoned with in order for us to move forward into a better place. And speaking of the news, the phrase witch hunt has come back into the fore lately, and I just wanted to say a little bit about that. That phrase is being used by lots of people in light of both the sexual abuse allegations that are swirling around Hollywood and Congress, as well as by the President of the United States himself, who seems to feel that the current Mueller investigation is an act of severe persecution against himself and his family. Here's the thing, though. The term witch hunt has a distinct meaning. A connotation that implies that those who are in power are hunting those who are not. This hunt can come from the government, as with McCarthyism of the 1940s and 50s, or it can come from a religious body or ruling class, as in, you know, the actual witch hunts of the 15th through 18th centuries in Western Europe and colonial America, or even with those still going on today in places like India and Ghana and Papua New Guinea. I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that it is usually women or other marginalized people who are the accused in the majority of these instances. In other words, the term witch hunt makes no sense to use in regard to oneself when you are the one who is in power, particularly as a straight white cis male, and especially when all evidence points to the fact that you are, in fact, actually in the wrong. It is not only an ignorant way to use the term, but it disrespects the many oppressed people throughout history who have been accused and wrongfully persecuted, whether as witches, communists, or other alleged social monsters. As far as I am concerned, if you are the one in power, as the head of a film studio, for example, or as the head of state, and you say you are subject to a witch hunt, you have a far bigger problem than the accusation itself. 
because you have failed to recognize the privilege and the power that you wield and have chosen instead to cast yourself in the role of a victim or a martyr, which, let's face it, is either an instance of extreme gaslighting or extreme delusion. These men are being called out for using their power in poisonous ways, and I believe they will eventually, and hopefully swiftly, be punished for it. That is called justice. That is not being subject to a witch hunt. Now, we talk a lot about power on this show, and that's because the figure of the witch is a mirror of our constantly fluctuating feelings about power, and especially about female or otherwise marginalized power. And my guest on this episode, Dominatrix Dia Dynasty, is an expert in sexual power dynamics. In a moment, I'm going to be talking to her about the relationship between sex and witchcraft, pleasure and pain, taboo and liberation. But first, we've been getting lots of powerful messages from you lovely listeners via email and on social media, so let's see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Randy writes, What are your thoughts on how witchy women with white privilege can do better in terms of decolonizing our spiritual practices and ensuring true radical healing for all witches and beings, not just abundant white cis women? It's a great question, Randy, and one that's on top of a lot of people's minds these days across all cultural and political conversations. So I'm going to answer your question first in the broadest sense, which is how can cis white people, and white women in particular, do better overall in this regard? As a white cis woman myself, I've been doing a lot of listening and reading and educating myself and making a concerted effort to seek out voices and stories that are different than mine. I do this in small ways, like following a lot of people of color and queer people on social media, and consciously prioritizing consuming work by them, whether that's articles, books, music, film, and supporting it and paying for it as often as I can. It's not only the right and moral thing to do, Frankly, it's just much more interesting because only giving attention to work which is made by people just like me is boring, let alone selfish. You know, you're missing out on all kinds of cool shit by just sticking to things that are familiar to you. In the larger scheme of things, those of us who have privilege or power in any way have a responsibility to bring other people up with us, to share our spotlight, our resources, our access, and sometimes seed those things entirely. It's a personal mission of mine to have diverse voices on this podcast, for example, and to let them have the floor rather than it just being the Pam show every episode. I believe that dialogue between people of different experience leads to education, which leads to transformation, which leads to illumination. And let's be clear, I still have a lot to learn and a long way to go, but I'm committed to doing this work and I'm hopeful that more and more people are as well. Lastly, your question, Randy, specifically asks about spiritual practices. And it's absolutely true that one of the negative byproducts of witchcraft or alternative spirituality is that at their worst, they can co-opt, appropriate, or otherwise colonize other cultures. They can be exploitative or just downright offensive if not done with thought and care in the ways I've mentioned already. On the other hand, I do believe that magic and creativity are fluid and boundaryless, and that they morph in an eclectic mashup of symbols and stories that are all part of one greater truth that transcends our differences and connects us all as human spiritual beings. Magic doesn't care which group its symbology comes from, because so many of our borders and divisions are man-made constructs, and it's my opinion that doing magic or any other creative act is about dissolving the illusion that we are different from each other. So in some, we all, but most especially straight cis white people, 
need to put our support and our resources where our mouths are and need to do research and be mindful of the histories and contexts of the spiritual cultures that are different from our own. We need to educate ourselves and make sure that our study of these practices is about honoring and not owning. At the same time, I do believe that any sacred act done with love, respect, and compassion can help unite us all. Now, on to my guest. Dia Dynasty is a New York City-based dominatrix, though she does do digital dominance remotely as well if you can't get to her in person. She's also a witch and an artist with a background in photography, as evidenced by her gorgeous portraits online. She's one of the forces behind La Maison du Rouge, a community which specializes in educating the curious about kink, fetish, and BDSM with a hearty helping of spirituality and feminism added to the mix. Dia graced me with her powerful presence recently at my Brooklyn apartment. Please note, if you haven't gathered by now, this is an adult conversation about adult topics, so heads up if you've got kids in the room or are someone who blushes, or in this case, blanches, easily. Dia Dynasty, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Pam. Thank you so much for being here. So I'm going to start by actually reading your Twitter bio, because I think it is perhaps the best bio I've ever read. It says, Dia Dynasty, Alpha Witch, Pervet, Awakener, Shamanatrix, Elite Asian Dominatrix, Practitioner of Transformational Domination, and Visionary of La Maison du Rouge. That is quite a mountain of majesty you've got there. I have to admit that I know how to sell myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And words, you know, have a lot of power. And so sometimes the word itself will proceed everything that I've put into it but holds the space for me so thank you love that and we're going to get into words and language in a few moments but first I just wanted to share a little bit of background on how we met yes please so I was teaching some ritual workshops at a space in Brooklyn that I co-ran called observatory And these were essentially witchcraft classes, and you became a frequent attendee. And I know I'm not supposed to say this, but you became one of my favorites. (laughs) And I was always so happy when you were there. I just loved the energy that you brought, and your kindness, and your style, and eventually we became friends. But I have to confess, you know, I try not to make assumptions about people, And yet, when you told me that you were a dominatrix, I was surprised. You have this great strength about you, but there is that sweetness and that light. And, you know, I've met other dominatrixes in my life, and I I went, oh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. And with you, for whatever reason it was, I was surprised because you have that gentle energy, even though you have that great strength. So can you just talk first and foremost about other misconceptions that people might have about dominatrixes i mean certainly you're not all walking around with you know (laughs) boots and whips and all of that um i think that the ones that are actually walking around with boots and whips are probably not actually dominatrixes but uh that's not necessarily true because i i feel like most women have a maternally dominant side and, and maybe because of our social construct, it's been uh, repressed or hidden or whatever. But thank you again for all the things that you just said. And I didn't really know that you were surprised by my profession. Um, sometimes it surprises me as well because <laughs> it's, there is, there's definitely a, um, a performative aspect to what I do that a lot of people see and what they're seeing is just the more superficial trappings and activities and so what they see feeds into their imagination as us 
in our profession being somewhat like cold and cruel and hard and unyielding and um, and all these things that are that are a little bit scary but maybe a little thrilling and sexy at the same time. But I think one of the greatest misconceptions about being a professional dominatrix is that we are actually extremely caring. And what we do is eventually and ultimately a service to everybody. And so even though we're not necessarily in the moment serving somebody as, say, a servant or a submissive would serve his dominant, we, in the greater scheme of things, are creating a space for people who have certain urges, tendencies, preferences, uh, orientations, to feel safe in yielding to that mm. and allowing us to guide them through it. Mm-hmm. Because it's something that I feel like if you have a t- tendency to, to be submissive, you don't really know what to do with it. And so going to see a professional, you want to be able to explore it and discover it about yourself deeply. Um, Let's talk about some of some of these terms, because this is a magic and witchcraft and creativity podcast, yes. not an erotica podcast, right. although I love talking about sex. <laughs> and I'm sure it's a topic that's going to be coming up quite a bit mm-hmm. in other episodes because witches and sexuality are so interlinked. Very. So I'm wondering if we can just start with some basic definitions okay. and terms for any listeners who might not be familiar with your world. So when you're talking about being a dominatrix, Mm -hmm. when you're talking about dominance and submissiveness, I imagine a lot of people have heard the acronym BDSM or just S&M. Can you give us a little bit of a a primer on these words? BDSM is an acronym and it stands for multiple things. So B and D stand for bondage and discipline. And then S&M stands for sadism and masochism or basically sadomasochism but then in the middle there is a d and an s and that stands for dominance and submission and so i think bondage and discipline are pretty self-explanatory bondage being restraint and you know using like different materials to to keep somebody confined to a certain space and then discipline being more like training and and having the D and the S in the middle, I think, is more about power dynamics and power exchange and playing with those in a way that isn't normal to your daily life. Dominance being the person who is on top giving orders and submission or submissive being the person who is on the bottom and taking orders. Mm-hmm. Um Sadomasochism, I believe, is a pretty popular mm-hmm. term. Um, sadism being a person who enjoys giving pain. And then masochism being a person who enjoys receiving pain. And um, and pain can be a lot of different things to different people. Sometimes it's more like emotional agony or um, the idea of, of suffering some sort of mental anguish. And then other times it's of course physical pain like being whipped or spanked or paddled or something like that Mm -hmm. so you've just described a whole rainbow of sexuality it's not necessarily always one thing so when a client is coming to you i imagine there's a specificity that is individual to them that not every client wants the same thing and that different sessions might look very very different from each other is that right absolutely bdsm is an umbrella term for all things that um, stray outside of the norm of sexuality or or conventional sex and there's even more to it that isn't included in the acronym which is fetish so fetish is the sexual arousal from objects and even though it's been expanded to include certain like non-genital body parts like foot fetish or uh, hair fetish it's traditionally something that is included into bdsm as a a non-traditional arousal from things Mm -hmm. objects Mm -hmm. and then i've heard the term dungeon quite a bit and the first time i ever heard it i was like 
of course, picturing the obvious. And part of me sort of wishes that you do indeed have like torches everywhere and like chains hanging from a brick wall and, you know, monsters in a moat. But but what (laughs) what does that term actually mean in your practice? A dungeon traditionally is a space to play or act out BDSM scenes. And um, it, you know, sometimes will have certain elements of what you just described. Not so much the monsters in the moat, but chains. And um, there's even a place in New York City that has a couple of rooms that are very dungeony. And they have they have the the um, stone floors and the brick like walls and like a throne um, and torches and uh, like a a quartering table. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) um and then there's this one that has a a wheel that you can literally strap a human to and just turn Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so so yeah it it doesn't always have to literally be dungeon-like but it's the term that we use to describe a play space Mm -hmm. so what does your dungeon look like as much as your comfortable revealing okay um it is actually seldom referred to as a dungeon because we've modernized it to um, basically have a lot of mirrors and hidden elements the only thing that you really see are a few chains hanging on the wall but it looks more like a um a sophisticated kinky lady's apartment so there's two walls of mirrors did you say sophisticinky sophisticinky no i, I didn't that. but thank you oh. <laughs> that's a new word yes um so a sophisticated kinky woman's apartment yes it's a sophisticinky place space <laughs> <laughs> um so the the walls are red which is actually pretty traditional and we have two walls of mirrors also and uh behind one of the walls of of mirrors is cabinets full of all the toys and implements and naughty things that we might use and then the lighting is is pretty low and soft and then we have a cage um and then we have a spanking bench and that's pretty much all the furniture we have it's pretty sparse and minimal Mm. and um somewhat convertible got it so when someone is coming to you, first of all, is, is it people of all genders that are your clients? We don't get very many trans people, but mostly men, I would say 95%. Okay. And okay. Then, and then 5% women. Okay. And you're offering these different sexual experiences for them. And I imagine there's some conversation beforehand and negotiation. And I imagine a lot of listeners have like at least seen the movie Fifty Shades of Grey or read the books or Mm -hmm. know about it. And and I think one of the things that was revealed to a lot of people that might not be familiar with this world is that there is a great deal of that kind of conversation beforehand. Is that right? Correct. I think that there are elements of Fifty Shades of Grey that are very counter to actual BDSM Mm. in um, mainly consent. Mm. And so I'm not going to condone the book itself, but I do I do appreciate its presence in, I guess, mass culture. And then what I'd like to differentiate is that even though I'm technically a sex worker, our services are more erotic mm-hmm. and um, not always purely sexual. Mm. So they're, they can be more mentally engaging. And sometimes the sexual component is something that is, is completely mental okay interesting interesting you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation the idea of healing Mm -hmm. and you know you do call yourself an alpha witch and a shamanatrix and there is this language of spirituality that really comes through and again as i said we met in the context of witchcraft so how do you bring your witch self into your erotic work so I think that there's an, a huge component of magic and specifically magic in BDSM, in the interactions in almost like a, a spellbinding way where I am creating this glamour about myself that captivates my, you know, victim. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess that's the initial part of, of drawing somebody in. And then so much can happen 
when two people willingly give into each other and and so that i feel like is the erotic slash sexual component of it is is two people coming together to create an experience so the the witchcraft is i mean it can happen in so many different ways healing being the most important way in my opinion is is that i'm creating a space a safe space for which to allow the other person to let themselves go Mm -hmm. and however that looks to them whatever it is that whether through pleasure or pain or some ordeal path what does that mean ordeal path ordeal being um it's like a ritualized way of attaining a slightly more elevated or altered state of mind through pain Mm, or or suffering okay i'm i'm able to facilitate that for them in a way that that shifts their perspective after it's all been done Mm. and so that that component of domination and witchcraft i think is like extremely important and and it's not always something that's attainable with everybody Mm. it there has to be a deep willingness and a deep submission in order for that to happen and there are so many connections that i see between the archetype of the witch and sexuality overall especially female sexuality i mean in our society both are so often linked with shame and shadow and shrouding Mm -hmm. all these ways in which we're taught to hide our power and our desire all of our not so squeaky clean sunny parts so when did you start accepting your shadow side both sexually and as a witch hmm um, I think that I started accepting my shadow side when I realized the impact of what I do for other people mm. and how I could, and this was maybe like seven years ago or so, so so pretty early on in, in my career, mm-hmm. I started seeing that being able to understand other people's darkness involved me understanding my own darkness Mm. and and this is it's been a quite a process because i feel like i keep unraveling and and keep getting deeper into the folds of my own darkness Mm -hmm. which helps me to see deeper into other people's darkness and be able to work with them in in their shadow Mm -hmm. and it's 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 an ever-evolving process of of depth Mm -hmm. and it can be a little bit scary because sometimes i get a little honed in on somebody else's darkness and Mm. kind of shedding light onto that which in turn can bring me deeper into mine unconsciously Mm. and so I have to be really careful to take breaks and do plenty of self-care where I turn the mirror on myself Mm -hmm. and look deeper into myself and analyze what am I doing that is calling upon my own darkness and how can I not project my own darkness onto this other person basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we we've said this in earlier episodes that darkness is not evil when when i use that word um and i think when a lot of other guests use that word it's kind of acknowledging the jungian shadow side of yourself it's it's the parts of yourself that might remain hidden or secret or maybe there is fear around them or maybe it's just about being private or intimate it's all of these parts that we're taught not to shine forth for better and for worse I think and so when you're talking about your own shadow side it's really interesting to me that perhaps your shadow side is amplified through the work that you're doing in kind of being the shaman of shadows for other people. Absolutely. And I think it's a fairly common experience for people in any kind of healing vocation, whether it's a psychologist, a social worker, a masseuse, and certainly the work that you're doing where you know it's often very empathetic people who are attracted to helping others heal but because one is so empathetic that can leave you open to having their energies attached to your self and you can absorb that And, and it sounds like that's what you're talking about yes it's just like you said it's very much a therapeutic position to be in and being 
really conscious to not absorb the energy and to make sure that you clear your energy after each person that you're working with is super important. And also differentiating between the energy that you're channeling from another source versus the energy that you're drawing from your own well Mm. and how much it can affect your own boundaries, Mm -hmm. I think, is also really important. And like you said, the dark parts of us are meant to be examined and left up to us whether we want to share them or not. It's, mm-hmm. it's not really something that, that somebody should non-consensually draw out of you. And if that does happen, then, you know, you do have to kind of throw up your boundaries or say, we have to stop this mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with playing with power dynamics and being a dominant it's just not okay for a client or a submissive to come in and be like, oh, well, you this and that to me. Mm-hmm. And that does happen every once in a while because... You mean that they're saying you did this to me? I'm not sure they're, I'm clear. They're turning the attention back to me. Oh, I And trying see. to get into my head or trying to um, understand me at a deeper level than I've allowed them to. Mm. Yeah. So you, as the dominatrix, you're not only dominating the energy in the room and the sexual experience someone is having, but you also have the control of the boundaries of conversation and relationship. I mean, again, similar to any kind of therapist. When I go to my therapist, and I'm talking about just the traditional, like I I go to a woman every week and we talk about my life. I don't know too much about hers. And I'm paying to not have to know too much about hers, quite frankly, because it's that safe space of focus on my therapy. Right. And you're finding that sometimes clients, I could imagine people getting very attached to you. Mm -hmm. And this is such intimate work. Um, It's, yeah. the, The most intimate, some might argue. You brought up clearing and kind of keeping yourself grounded. What are some methods that you have for that? Because I think we all could use some of that, not just in our sexual lives, but just in our day-to-day lives. There's so much negativity and so many of us are sensitive and absorb each other's energies. Mm -hmm. So what are some techniques that you've developed for yourself? I find that one of the most important ways of constraining this kind of work to to a space is is to have a space and to not do it just wherever you know like to have a dedicated space to do this kind of work and when you enter the threshold of the space you are basically switching your mindset to do this work and then when you're finished you leave and you cross over the threshold and you you know mentally can say I'm leaving it all behind I also use a Reiki method, which is just basically like swiping my the back of my hand over all all of my body and my hair. Mm -hmm. My hair absorbs a lot of energy, Mm. so um, so that kind of like physical motion of clearing, like almost like I'm squeegeeing, really is helpful too. Just giving your aura a little scrub down. Totally. And then if if there's something that I I find that I've somehow inadvertently taken home with me, then I will do a meditation, like a grounding meditation, and then I will do some kind of a salt bath. Mm-hmm. And that's largely cleansing and helpful with the intention of the salt bath being that I'm saying I'm clearing my energy of this other person. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite ways to clear too is a salt bath. And just for listeners, we're talking about natural salt and unprocessed salt. So not table salt. It's not going to give you the same effect. You really want to find, um, I, I love you know Himalayan salt and there's all kinds of Celtic sea salt and other things that you can get from pretty much any health food store mm-hmm. or organic store uh, that you might have. I love the salt baths because not only are they absorbing negative energy and then you're just washing it down the drain but they also have great minerals that then they're replenishing your body Mm -hmm. back with as well and you know one other thing I'll just add while we're on the topic is doing some kind of smudge with smoke specifically sage I'm sure many of you are familiar with that technique but it's something that's so simple and widely available now I mean you can get smudge bundles at Whole Foods now yeah 
so just some other thoughts um, because I think people are going to be really interested to know especially in this day and age how they can keep themselves cleared I think that salt baths are especially useful for any type of energy clearing not just from other people but from like maybe an experience that you had that made you feel kind of icky and smudging is something that we do regularly at our space as well (laughs) that's great to hear we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back If you're anything like me, you're probably pretty obsessed with candles. And that's why I'm over the moon to tell you about Mithras candles. They are my favorite. They're made of pure beeswax and handcrafted by my extremely magical pals in Philadelphia. They have a gorgeous drip style that looks like something out of Lord of the Rings. They smell like honey-scented paradise. And they come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Mithras candles are a perfect addition to any home or sacred space, and I can't recommend them more highly. They're available now at MithrasCandle.com. That's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with witchly dominatrix, Dia Dynasty. This makes me think about just the idea of sex as ritual. And it strikes me that this is true of lots of creative acts and lots of imaginal or magical play. You know, whether it's doing a spell, doing a performance, making art, you set the space. And whether or not it's casting a magic circle or lighting a candle on your altar, you have your tools or your props, you set an intention, and then through ritual acts, some sort of transformation takes place. So I'd love to hear about what kind of spiritual or energetic transformation happens both for clients and for you through this work that you do. Um. I think one of the most memorable ones was the eradication of shame through just a very simple, and this wasn't even much of a ritual, it was just a session where the client talked about some some things that had happened to him that violated his trust and that made him feel disempowered sexually when he was young. And um, he had never told anybody before. And I didn't necessarily draw it out of him in a way where I was probing with questions. It was more so that I held space for him and made him feel safe like he could tell me anything. Mm. And it was something that I think that was weighing on him pretty heavily. And he felt a lot of shame and guilt about. And so being able to talk about these experiences in the past that he had never told anybody before was largely clearing of this blockage that he had had that was more specific to a certain act like a certain activity that he had always wanted to do and had the desire to do but felt so much shame and guilt around Mm. and um and so after after speaking this truth he was able to basically shed it like a large heavy coat Mm. and he went on to um, explore his own sexuality in a more liberated way Mm. and um you know as simple as that is just this very simple confession of something that that clouded his past and and his psyche in a way that limited him it's it's profoundly life-changing and transformative just to be able to have a safe space where you know that you're not going to be judged or condemned just for saying these things. Mm, That's so beautiful. And that gets me back to an earlier topic that I wanted to delve into a little more deeply. And that's the topic of language and the power of words. The phrase abracadabra actually means I create as I speak. It comes from either Hebrew or Aramaic, depending on, you know, what article you're clicking on. But in other words, it's I say these words and so it shall be. And not only is that really powerful in terms of speaking our truth in general, but also the idea of names and how we name ourselves, how we name the projects we work on or the feelings that we're having. And when we met, you had a different name than the one you do now, and I will not say that name. 
But in lots of mystical and occult traditions, one takes on a magical name. Sometimes it's secret, sometimes it's only used by sisters and brothers in the craft. So I'm curious why you decided to take on the new name of Dia Dynasty. Okay, so there's actually a a practical reason, and then there's a, a more magical reason. I used to work at a commercial dungeon, which is how I got my start in pro-domination. And I had a different name that they owned. Mm. And they, you know, they claimed ownership of this name, even though if I were to use it later on, I don't think there would necessarily be too much of a problem. But I wanted to transgress the limitations of this name. Yes. If I can just interject, um, this is a little off topic, but it reminds me of with wrestlers mm-hmm. my my husband is a huge wrestling fan and I, I know way more about wrestling than you would ever imagine <laughs> if you met me just through osmosis and watching a lot of this with him and and interestingly there's a lot of connection between wrestling and performance and mm-hmm. magic and and all of these different pageants and and aspects of you know performative culture uh, but but that's for another time anyhow the reason I bring it up is a lot of wrestlers when they're coming up in the wwe the wwe owns their name and so if they then decide to go independent or go somewhere else they have to take on a new name for exactly those reasons Mm -hmm. so it sounds like you know you're having this this professional wrestling experience that's exactly what it is um and i'm still wrestling but Mm -hmm. (laughs) um as an independent i i decided that it would be more fitting to my um more witchy persona also to have a different name and at the same time I also had an artist name that I feel like I've transcended as well Mm -hmm. because my art has changed so much Mm -hmm. and um and so I took an element of my artist name and formed something new around it something Mm -hmm. a little more regal and so Dia is God in some languages and then day in some other languages Mm -hmm. meaning like the sun Mm -hmm. and i felt like that was a lot more powerful and then dynasty being kind of like the reign of of a family or of a of a ruler Mm. and dynasty still has a component of my old name my old artist name in it so it's my thing to take something old and transform it into something new. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like retaining that element of my old name in it was pretty important too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this makes me think of an element of your website wherein you list colors that you love, you list numbers you're associated with, you list preferred gifts Um, you list your shoe size your glove size your preferred lingerie and it got me thinking about how in many cultures certain deities have associations of colors and numbers Mm -hmm. and certain gifts you know I was thinking about the Orisha Oshun who is the deity of love in Santeria and in voodoo and and some other practices she's associated with pumpkins and yellow butterflies and the color gold and certain types of liquor and so I was wondering when you're allowing people to essentially worship you in this way Mm -hmm. or honor you in this way are you feeling like you're tapping into some sort of goddess energy absolutely 100 percent so a lot of professional doms call themselves mistresses, but I call myself goddess. Mm. So that is the superlative that I require my subs to call me. So in a session, they're calling you goddess. Goddess. Yes. And, um, and that's for several reasons, one of which is exactly what you just mentioned, is that I'm not a mistress. I'm not lateral to your girlfriend or your wife. I am exalted in a way where I'm unattainable, and I can be summoned with the proper invocations and uh, offerings, mm-hmm. but I can't stay. And I'm never going to be in your life as something that you can just always access. There has to be the proper preparations made. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I feel like there is no proper goddess worship in our culture. There's Jesus and there's God 
and neither of those are gendered in a way that includes the female in a proper goddess way mm-hmm. and so i've i think that that's highly feminist mm-hmm. <laughs> in in getting that liminal mind space to recognize that this this is a missing component in your life mm-hmm. and here i am to fulfill it that's gorgeous and have you felt a change in yourself since you've introduced that language and this aspect of gift receiving into your work Yes, absolutely. If they have an understanding of what a goddess is, then they are likely to treat me, who calls myself a goddess, in a much more respectful way. I'm not just a playmate for you. I'm somebody that can elevate you, and I take pride in that ability to do so. Now, presumably, you know, you also pay your rent, you ride the subway, you go to Trader (laughs) Joe's, like anybody else. So how has being adored or worshipped changed you and the ways in which you operate day to day in the material world outside the sacred space of your circle? Um, That's a really good question. (laughs) Addressing myself in its exalted form isn't necessarily super practical. And so I have to also address myself and and honor myself in a more material and bodily way. And so these are things that I also talk about with my clients in the form of self-care and demonstrating self-care. And self-care being a lot of different things of the material plane as well Mm -hmm. as the spiritual plane. And so in a more practical way, I'm moving some of my energies toward attracting people who basically support me financially. Mm -hmm. And um, in exchange, they get my energy and some time with me in a session or for dinner or something like that. Mm -hmm. Where it's, it's not so much about like me providing a healing service. It's about the privilege of allowing them to support my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely a financial transaction involved in that kind of support right and And money is energy that's one of my favorite quotes from joseph campbell that money is just a symbol that is representing the exchange of energy between two entities absolutely and sometimes it's like if you have somebody in your life and they kind of annoy you that kind of energy is not welcome Mm -hmm. you know i would rather have your money than your attention if you're (laughs) annoying so in exchange for my attention or or my anything, give me your money instead. Mm. Okay, <laughs> interesting. And are there some people that you just will not take money from if they annoy you too much, to use your word? Yeah, there's definitely people who feel like energy vacuums mm-hmm. and, and it wouldn't even matter how much money I... I in, in, there's definitely like an ethical standpoint of not taking money from people who don't have money to Mm -hmm, give mm -hmm. or who say you know oh i'm a student i'm poor etc it's like sure it would be i think it would be unethical to demand a lot of money from them Mm -hmm. and if they don't have enough money to exchange for my attention then we just don't engage Mm -hmm. you know in the world of witchcraft and magic i would say 95 percent of everyone i've ever met and worked with has been lovely But there's inevitably the 5% of flaky people or people who are attracted to this work because there is some deep lack or unwellness, whether spiritually or in their psyche or what have you. And and one has to be really careful to stay safe and to keep that energy away from oneself. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're thinking about a lot too with these relationships? Absolutely. I feel like the magic of domination is all tied in together with witchcraft in that it's all very energetic and I can say no because I'm protecting myself Mm -hmm. and I should say no because something intuitively feels off Mm -hmm. and that I'm cultivating a reputation by saying yes or no Mm -hmm. and if I keep somebody who is energetically not representative of me then then I'm degrading my own reputation. And you don't just mean reputation in terms of your brand, right? You also mean what you're attracting yes. energetically in your life. Is yes. that right? Yes, how I'm perceived and, and definitely energetics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I imagine that in some contexts, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just imagining that you have to be pretty thoughtful and maybe even careful about telling people that you're a dominatrix in the same way that I'm thoughtful and careful about talking about being a witch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not something I hide. And yet there's occasionally risk with revealing this part of myself. So how do you navigate your identity as a dominatrix and as a witch in your day-to-day? Like, does your family know about this side of your life, for example? I feel like these are a lot of times two vastly different conversations and, and can have different reactions, even though sometimes they have the same reactions to both. And I always use my intuition and and my keen awareness of, of my audience in discerning whether I reveal these aspects of myself or not. My mother knows what I do. Mm-hmm. My family probably has a vague notion that I do something strange and unconventional, but I don't think they know exactly what it is. Okay. And and they don't really ask and, and they don't seem outwardly curious Mm -hmm. and so we just kind of leave it at that my mother is definitely more inclined towards a spiritual life and she sees me as her sage Mm. and we've never really talked about witchcraft or magic outright but a lot of the advice that i often end up giving her is in line with these beliefs Mm -hmm. and she usually takes them (laughs) and and finds them to be helpful so i definitely feel like my mother and I being very close and me being the only child, there's there's a kinship that we can share in these ideas and these beliefs. So lucky and lovely. Very. So we've talked a lot about witchcraft and we've talked a lot about your identity as a dominatrix. Are you combining these things in more overt ways? Like are you finding that some of your clients consider you a witch and want some of the more obvious semiotics or symbols or language of witchcraft or is it just space that you're holding inside yourself and not necessarily discussing i also use intuition and discerning who gets to know everything about me Mm -hmm. there's definitely some clients that i've had for a long time who who know the more magical side of what i do and i've even crafted a ritual for one of them Uh, he had lost his job so I, I was like, well, let, you know, let's do this thing together. And three days later, he got a new job. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So there's definitely people that I think that aren't necessarily ready to know everything about me. And that that is the space that I'm holding for later on if our relationships develop into something deeper. See, that's fascinating to me that the dominatrix side for you is in some ways less private than your identity as a witch. Why do you think that is? Um, My identity as a witch goes deeper into my spiritual beliefs that I've always held of of being a magical person and, and having magic to access in my life. And I've definitely come into being a dominatrix through my my spiritual beliefs of magic and witchcraft. Really? What do you what do you mean exactly? So, um <laughs> when I first moved here from Texas, I was unaware of anything having to do with BDSM or that pro-domination was a thing. Like I didn't know anything about this. All I knew was that I was going to move to New York and that I didn't want to do photo assisting. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really interested in being photographer, which is my academic background. And that's the art you were talking about when you said you're an artist. It's photography? Correct. Okay. Um, Well, photography and performance. Yeah. And you have beautiful photographs on your site, by the way. Thank you. So I made a list. I made a special list, you know, with a special pen and entered into a special place to make this list of all the things that I wanted to do instead of doing photography. So there was things that were counter to my photographic experience, which was to, you know, get to wear sexy clothes and dress up and and wear high heels and be revered as a goddess for my intelligence and my creativity and my deviousness. How old were you when you came up with this list? I was 32 or 33. Okay. I believe 33 is Jesus's age when he was crucified. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) So 
entering into this new phase of my life, I, I made this list. And, and, and you then went through your own resurrection. I did. <laughs> and then I went to the portal of all things, which is the internet. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is um, quite a gate. It is. That one can open. And I really have found the internet to be quite magical as the portal to anything that I wanted, knowing what I wanted. Um, so I had this, you know, list of things that I wanted as a career. Also, you know, more specifically to get to be creative without a ceiling and to get to do things that were unusual but also connecting Mm -hmm. and i found this listing on craigslist that was for a chinatown dungeon that would train and provided a full wardrobe and just basically the perfect fit and i didn't know anything i didn't know what a dungeon was it was just it was it was a beacon that I just went to without thinking. Were you already interested in BDSM at all? In your no, wow. I did not know what BDSM was. I didn't know what a dungeon was. It said it was all Asian, so I was like, oh well, that's you know that's good. I'm I'm Asian. I can do this. <laughs> you didn't. You weren't bothered by fetishizing your background or your ethnicity. No, not at all. In fact. I'm very aware that this is a selling point that I can monetize and hmm. I'm not against using it. Like okay. I don't, it's it's a double-edged sword. I understand that there's this benevolent racism happening with Asians, um, but I'm also capitalizing off of it and so going it, in with your eyes open correct. and with consciousness and awareness. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm exactly a model citizen, but I definitely had this inclination to put myself where not all the good models were. And so it was like, I can be all things. Mm -hmm. I don't have to just exist in this vanilla world where I'm good and everybody sees me as like a overachiever and I can play chess really well. So when you're saying model citizen, you mean the stereotype of Asian people being Co- model citizens. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And following all the rules and, you know, scoring very high and making a lot of money and this and that. Um, I was not interested in that life. Mm-hmm. I wanted to work somewhere where there was an underground vibe and dealing with more of the dark side of life. Mm hmm. So that's where I ended up. So witchcraft came first. Yes. Wow. Okay. And so it sounds like you're on this continuous path to sort of weave them together. Absolutely. And and it's, you know, the witchcraft has always been there. It wasn't necessarily crystallized as witchcraft um, from the very beginning. It was... It was more just general magic. And mm-hmm. I explored a lot of different kinds of magic. And I realized that a lot of it was highly academic mm-hmm. and uh, it didn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. It, it felt too cerebral. And Are you talking about like ceremonial magic where you like have to learn all the names of the archangels? Is yes. that the kind of... Yeah, and, and um, more the, the Gardnerian... Gardnerian Wicca? Yeah, yeah. Um, like it any, was too prescriptive for you? Is, prescriptive. That, is that what you mean by academic? Yes. Like you have to follow these certain tenants or get these exact objects and there's more rules Way in, in more your mind. Rules. Yeah. Okay. And and less intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was important to me to hone intuition. It was something that I felt like wasn't lacking because maybe I was so academic to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to move away from that because I felt like magic was not about like reading books and doing things exactly as prescribed. Yeah. And that's something you taught me. Well, thank you. Well, that's something that you confirmed and validated. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I've always thought of a lot of those books as recipe books. And I liken it to being a chef or a cook. So when you're learning how to cook, it's great to have certain recipes. But when you really become a chef or an artist, it's when you start customizing things and individualizing them and trusting your own tastes and experimenting and frankly personalizing it i think when we personalize our craft whether it's art or magic i believe they're one and the same thing that's when the real 
potency comes through. Totally. And it sounds like you came to that conclusion already, but I'm happy to hear that you found that affirmed. It was like I had some basic principles that I learned and some kind of like universal laws that Mm -hmm. that felt right to me. And then I felt like everything else could be second nature. Mm -hmm. And so that resonated with me a lot more. And, And having gone to your ritual magic classes, it was so empowering because it was like, oh, I can trust my own intuition. And it doesn't have to always be one way. Mm-hmm. So that's the best part. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that with <laughs> me. That just fills my heart. I think that's a good place to start to wind down because I wanted to talk about community. And one of uh, the reasons that I even did those workshops back in the day, and hopefully I'll get to do them again sometime soon, but I loved this idea of community building. And I think a lot of us who are interested in magic, or frankly, any kind of work that might be a little off the beaten path, so much of it is self-taught and solitary, and we might read books or read articles or take classes or click links, but a lot of it is this, in my experience anyway, solitary work. And I got to a point in my life where I was really craving that community. And I think that's something that's coming up a lot, you know, even in that cheeky kind of hashtag coven goals and everyone calling their friends their coven now. I actually love it because I I love the idea of sisterhood and fellowship and chosen family building and and combining our intentions our skills our gifts our resources to serve something that's larger than ourselves and i know that you've been doing a lot of community building as well you have la maison du rouge and i'd love to hear a little bit more about that space and the kind of activities that people can find if they attend any events or classes there okay so my business partner lucy sweetkill and i decided to defect from the commercial dungeon and build our own thing because we knew that the sisterhood was so important and that the business was actually secondary. And so building this community of basically female dominatrices was really important to us to maintain that sisterhood and to keep lifting others through empowering and supporting and being able to relate to each other in a way that I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily understand what Mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. And so we built La Maison de Rouge as a brand. And then it became a space that we are able to rent out to a select few colleagues that we share philosophies with. Mm -hmm. It's, It's really become a community. But within this community, we were able to even cultivate a small group of witches. Yes. What kind of witches? Oh, kinky witches. <laughs> <gasps> Amazing. Yes. And so there's there's actually, um, in my opinion, she's a mentor of the kink community in New York City. Um, who, who is this? Her name is Yin Q. Okay. And um, and she is absolutely a witch. Mm-hmm. And then... And she teaches classes? She, or? she teaches classes. She teaches basic bondage classes at Please NYC, which is a Brooklyn based sex toy shop Mm -hmm. it's run by a female and then she's a writer as well so she's written quite a bit about her place in the kink world as both a mother and as a provider Um, and she's no longer a dominatrix she's more she does more ritual work Mm. so i think that she's a really interesting person and paving the path for a lot of us as kinky witches as well she sounds incredible she is and so she's affiliated with la maison de rouge she is absolutely in many ways we've joined forces because she's a little more on the old guard side and we're a little more kind of like the the newbies on the scene the new school yes okay and she she's moved on to to have a family but she also is writing and producing her own web series called mercy mistress which is about her life as a chinese american dominatrix in new york city how fabulous okay well we're gonna have to check her out yes please and you have other people who teach and who are leading workshops because i noticed your calendar is very full lucy and i do a lot of talks um on panels and in kind of like in you know podcast format and things like that Mm -hmm. um the the work that we do is more based in sexuality and alternative sexuality Mm -hmm. and um and but i'm more on the spiritual side of it so i'm i'm more 
intersecting spirituality with BDSM. And this is open to the public, so when you're having your events, anybody can come and learn from you? Um, the events that we have are sometimes open to the public, but we also have some private events that are just industry-based. Mm-hmm. And so it just depends on the event, essentially. There is an event that we will be a part of that Yin is putting together, and it's absolutely open to the public. So it's it's really just, you know, depends on what the event is. Sure, sure. So... Dia Dynasty, what is the best way for somebody to find you online or in your magic circle or elsewhere? So again, I'm openly a witch, but I'm rather protective of my practice Mm -hmm. as a witch. If you are looking for my domination services, please go to my website, which is dominadynasty.com. Uh, I also have an Instagram. <laughs> Which is ridiculously breathtaking. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, and on Instagram, I'm Dia underscore underscore dynasty. Two underscores. <laughs> Whoa. Yes, You're super underground, huh? <laughs> And then I'm also on Twitter as Domina Dynasty, and I tweet quite a bit. I have a lot of thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, you actually had a tweet that I'll end on that I thought was so beautiful. You said, I don't have a wild side. I am the gracefully tempered wild. Thank you. That was gorgeous. Yeah, I, I really like to weave quite a bit of magic and witchcraft into the things that, into the wisdom that I like to tweet because I feel like it's it's time for people to receive that right now and thank you well thank you thank you for letting me receive your wisdom and your shadow (laughs) and I so look forward to seeing how your work evolves thank you for being here thank you for having me Pam that's it for the show Thank you again to Dia Dynasty for dominating my Brooklyn apartment with her radiant energy. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop me an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com and you might be featured on The Witch Wire. I'd love to hear from you. The Witch Wave was produced, recorded, and edited by me, Pam Grossman. Our theme music is by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Chiquita Pascal and Matt, yes, 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 Freeman. That's a wrestling reference, by the way, not something untoward, I assure you. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us lots of sparkly stars. It makes a huge, huge difference. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you have an iPhone, you might dig my witch emoji for iMessage. Fill your texts with witches, spellcraft objects, and magical symbols in a variety of skin tones, genders, and colors by searching for witch emoji, all one word, in the App Store, or by going to witchemoji.com. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.